So what was your favourite part of the holidays? Really? You sure? Okay. And uh, Disneyland? You uh, you liked that? When we went there? It was okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Vietnam with the snorkeling and the helicopter ride. The no. The vast landscapes of wondrous scenery didn't do it for you. No, your favourite thing was Radio Wolfgang. Ah. What's that? The app? You really like the Radio Wolfgang app? Huh. Okay, cool. And the hotel? No, that wasn't your favourite? Still, yeah. That's, it's just, you're only five years old. You sure Radio Wolfgang was your favourite thing? And getting ice cream. Right, the Radio Wolfgang app and ice cream. Great. Good summer. Oh, look, that's nice, Alex, look. <laughs> now, which is the one you wanted me to work on? Either uh, of them or just one? This one. That's okay. Oh, you've got the blutner there as well. Yes. I'm a bit like a country doctor. I go into people's homes and cure the patients. Mm. How you work on pianos is quite a lot like opening up like a body and working on it like the surgery. Some of them are not in particularly good condition and maybe never will be, but uh, after a visit you can still transform them and make them playable for beginners and or even people who are slightly better at it. So that's, that's a lot of what I do. When the lid is closed, of course, you are... That may be the problem what, what, that you're experiencing in the bass. You could be called a piano detective as well, because, you know, when you find, like, a problem in the piano and you don't know what it is, and then you have to sort of put together pieces to find out what the problem is. That's right, that's right, that's right. You look at them and, and you start telling their story. Oh, it's been somewhere too dry and then too hot, and there's always things that you just can't get your hand around what's what's wrong with this one why can't i get this right you know there was a time when pianos were knocked out very quickly and they weren't good to begin with there's, <laughs> there's a lot of bad old dogs around they just need to be put down you know there's a lot of those around as well it sounds harsh but it's it's true My name is Rolf Dragstra. I'm a piano tuner and technician. My name's Ellis Lewis Dragstra. Uh, I'm Rolf's son and I help him out on piano jobs. Ellis has been working with me for quite some time now. He's been picking up the skill as, as we go along from one job to the next. So, And it's good for him. He likes doing it. Mm -hmm. I think my great-grandfather was kind of built pianos and worked in a piano workshop uh, that actually manufactured them. He taught himself. I don't know exactly how he did it, because it's quite a feat, you know, but he came to Germany with his brother to work in the coal mines to begin with. My granddad happened to get a job uh, at the railways. And one winter he's working on a turntable 
for locomotives. And he was busy cleaning one of those turntables in the winter when he had an accident. And he slipped and lost the leg. Terrible accident. And he ended up with a wooden leg. His brother had to stay with him, so they were both together. And they decided, because of the musical abilities that my granddad had, they started, you know, playing music for people who came out of the factories and in the pubs and things like that. And then they got the idea to start and travel around from town to town and go into music shops, where he then, by and by, learned the skill of playing and repairing all sorts of instruments. And he then went back to a border town, which is my hometown, Gronau. It's a small place on the Dutch border. And he opened up a music shop there. And when my, both my uncle and my dad were growing up, my granddad decided it would be a good idea to send my father to Leipzig, to Blüthners, to learn piano making. And the Blüthner factory at that time was one of the best places you could, you could have gone to. And my uncle, was sent to Mittenwald to learn violin making. When my uncle came back, he took over my grandfather's shop. Uh, my father had his own workshop to work on pianos. We then picked up the skill from my dad. My father taught me just how I teach Ellis now. My father took me on jobs. As a child, I remember like you tuning the piano and I was just like drawing like crayons and stuff in like the customs like office or something. So I, I kind of always have like the memory of the sound of uh, like a piano being tuned. I can always recognize that. And also like the inside of piano, how it looks. When you're a child, you just look at something and you, you know, you're just mesmerized and you just keep looking, which I remember from my dad taking me on jobs. And all the while you're looking, you're taking in, your ears are lapping up what's coming out of the piano. And when it comes to the point where you're actually learning to set a scale, the intervals and the speed of the beats that you're supposed to listen to are already in your head. Good head start. Tuning fork. That one has a little bead on it, that string. Can you hear that? Well, the main problem with music, which was something that was found out early on, is that uh, you have to tweak the intervals within the octave to come up with the scale. And then the last one is like a doorbell. To do that, you need to come up with a temperament. It's called a temperament for the first octave, right in the middle of the piano. And the main skill there is to set the pin and that means that you've got an instrument, like a wrench, turns the tuning pin ever so slightly to get it just right where you want it. And setting the pin is, is, is uh, something that you keep on honing that skill throughout your career. You get better and better at it. The beat on the fifth, my dad used to say, think of a lighthouse fire going around slowly. And you still make little mistakes because every piano is different and you sometimes have to correct. You know, some of the strings have moved after you've turned the pin. Yeah, I, mean, I hear it straight away when, it's, when something's moved, mm. especially if you're using a note to compare with it, the fourth and the fifth. It, 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 if there's a wrong beat, it, it 
it's almost it's amplified by what I'm doing. How is, how is something moved? Sorry? How is something moved while you're... Well, it could be that my, my, my attempt to turn the pin mm. was not successful yet. <laughs> that the, the pin has sort of gone back to where it was before. Is that your way of saying you made a mistake? Or? Yeah, everybody <laughs> makes mistakes. Some people claim they're perfect, they always get it right. I'm not one of those people, no. <laughs> but if your ears are good enough, and, uh, then you, you will find those little alterations and correct them while you're going along. So if you listen to all these great jazz players, Theolonius Monk and people like that, you will find that there's a, there's a slight jingling and jangling and sort of... There's a little wavering of the volume and of the color as well, because nobody thought of forking out the money for a piano tuning. They were so used to playing uh, slightly out of tune pianos that it would have—it might even have been disconcerting for them to play on one that was perfectly in tune. That's something you can hear quite clearly if you have some experience with instruments, whether they are slightly out or whether they're perfectly in tune because the volume picks up of all the, and the resonance picks up. Once an instrument, once things have fallen into the right place, once you've delivered a good job as a tuner, and also voicing the instrument, making all notes, you know, giving them all the same volume, you shouldn't get all sorts of colors and, and, and you know, notes screaming at you in between. So you then have to sit down and, and pick the felt with needles to mellow the sound of these notes, to make them fall in with the, with the rest of them. It becomes more and more difficult. So you're trying to get the most out of the sound that you can. Yeah, and, and a, a good indicator is always the volume picks up. You know, once the two, the, the two notes of the octave are perfectly in tune, whoa, it comes out. So you hear, you listen out for the roaring of the lion as it will, You have to do that 88 times for each key. That's one of the first things you learn. And Ellis learned that very quickly. So while he's doing that, I can do something else. And uh, then there's lots of other things. And in the end, he's, he's adjusting repetition springs on a grand piano action in a church. And I'm saying to Ellis, are you aware that you're one of the very few people in this country that can do this now? Because there aren't many left at the moment that can do this properly. I can... I understand what he's talking about and in terms of like vibrations and beats and then working with him and him explaining it a bit more became more clear. Yeah, I think the next step would just be to give it a go myself. The kind of work that we're doing together now, he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good on what we've done. But uh, tuning is still, that's, that's still a hurdle he has to take. And I'm, I'm sometimes, I should have started earlier maybe. I have a bad feeling about tuning. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You may take to it like a fish to water. You just really have to give it a try, you know. But that is understandable because it is quite a thing. It is a bit like a running a first marathon. It takes a while to get through it. It's a bit daunting. Do you ever get frustrated? 
I don't think I've ever seen you like really angry. I do get frustrated sometimes. I've seen you sort of get a bit annoyed and sort of throw down, <laughs> throw down the tools <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah, it can happen sometimes. <laughs> I remember one of my first instruments I tuned. I, I rang up my dad, because I said, I don't know how to tune this one. I don't know what it is. And, and the first thing I said, well, is it a baby grand? And I said, yes. <laughs> so it's my dad at the other end, 40 years of experience. And he was just sussing out what was going to do. What make is it? It was an English one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's a bit difficult to explain that, but some of them are hard to tune because the tunes get stuck. So things like that can really be frustrating, especially if you don't know what's happening. Of course, it came in very handy that I had my dad at the other end of the phone. So you figure out what the problem was through the phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was able to tell me what was wrong with that instrument. Mm. Yeah. Were you scared at the time? Were you like... I was quite nervous at that time. I had studied physics. My customer was a physics professor. A bit intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of my first jobs. Yeah. And I remember spent four hours trying to tune that piano. That's a long time ago now, but that is how I started out, yeah. I never learned the trade professionally. I learned from my dad. People like my father and my brother, who were both master builders of pianos. They both have the official degree. And I've always thought, oh, Lord, I'll leave it to people like that. I was a bit too modest to get into that. I've never planned to become a piano tuner and technician because I studied. I had two educations. I had an academic upbringing. And my plan was probably to become a lecturer or something like that. And then I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Alice puts it down to him, you know. And then Alice came and I had to throw it all yeah. in the drawer and got my tools out again, start working on pianos again because, you know, the brats came in the way and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one way of Alice, uh, you know, throwing this in, you know. When I first uh, was told that, that Lee was pregnant, with my older son. I found myself, I was in Berlin at the time, and I was on my way to a customer tuning a piano. And while I was, uh, you know, on the bike riding to my customer's house, I was gonna start humming uh, nursery rhyme. And while I was humming it, I was becoming aware of what I was doing. I felt I was entering into the sequence of generations. Something was happening to me that was bigger than me. I think I just took it one step at a time. I realized that a lot of new things would be happening to me, which I, and these are all, uh, as we all know, a lot of them are little tedious things. Some of them is dealing with the muck and, <laughs> you know, changing nappies and doing all that. And, and you know, but all that is, is part of life. And in a way, it's very similar to uh, working on a piano, on an old monkey piano. They, you know, there's lots of little things which seem menial, but uh, they all come together, you know, and to, to create a, an end result that is really uh, enjoyable.
there's a German poet who came up with a two-liner who said, uh, Lerne im Leben die Kunst, im Kunstwerk lerne das Leben. Siehst du das eine Recht, siehst du das andere auch. It's like, in art learn life, in life learn art. If you see one in the right way, you will see the other one as well. That's a, that's a very good way to sum it up. Every morning he makes um, freshly squeezed orange juice for everyone in the family. <laughs> I guess sometimes we we don't fully appreciate it because <laughs> sometimes like my mum or my brother or even me, we're like, uh, no, we've, we've just brushed our teeth. Like, oh, this is going to taste gross now, <laughs> something like that. But yeah, he's always, always doing small things like that. And I'm sure he'll always put himself behind other people and think of other people first. I had to learn that though. I had to, and you learn that through be, becoming a parent. You know, live for yourself, you live in vain. Live for others, you live again. In the kingdom of Jaman shall reign. Pass it on. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, when I was younger, I was always sort of concentrating on other things. When I finished secondary school and went on to sixth form, I wanted to do art uh, as one of my subjects. They advised me to do photography instead, which I was kind of upset about. But then I tried it and I really liked photography. From photography, I kind of went into film as well, which is like, I think my favorite out of, out of the things that I do now. Kind of when I was a child, I always sort of saw colors to sound and sort of each song is kind of like a painting. So when I'm making films, often uh, the idea for like a whole story sometimes will come just from a song. So that's better now. Piano regulation and, and tuning, that's a skill that not many people have. For the past years, I've kind of grown more accustomed to the thought of working towards it more and picking up the skill and becoming as good as I can be. Well, maybe not as good as him, but <laughs> getting as close as I as I can and learning as much as I can from him. I'm not saying that it's exactly like a like a safety net or anything, but it's like comforting to know it's there. So you're trying to get rid of the kind of vibration. You can even call it a vibration, yes. But at the same time, because it's so rare. I kind of do feel sometimes a bit obligated to sort of make use of, of what I've learned from him. Sometimes I think about how I'd be able to sort of juggle that with my own interests and sort of do both, maybe. But what you can hear is if you notice slightly out of tune, it's what happens when those two uh, frequencies interfere with each other. And you can then you get a fluctuation of the volume. And that is what you hear. I am concerned that the skill might be on its way out, like many other skills in this country. You know, I've spoken to old carpenters and, 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 and cabinet makers who say the same thing, that they don't find the time nor do they have the means to train people up, and uh, a lot of them are full of skill. 
if you don't know what you're doing, you 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 make a wrong movement and 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 you spoil the whole thing. Skills like that need to be trained and they need time. Everything has to happen fast these days. People don't think along those lines though, that you have to think along if you want to pass on a skill like that, you know, as a craftsman. If you find that someone really wants to do this, you should nurture that, whether that's your own son or not. And as long as Ellis enjoys what he's doing, he will learn more about it and pick up more skills in that direction. I don't want to do something to him that which my father never did with me either. The parental suggestion of taking over the business. So why do you why do you use that to check as well? Well, it's sometimes it's less harsh on the ears. Well, I tell you what, because sometimes you actually don't know whether you're above or below in pitch, because everything's so close right at the top. But if you use this, you, you do hear it. I kind of feel like the amount that your dad passed down to you and you learned that that was that was quite a lot but I don't know if I, I'm going to be able to match that. I think it's wrong to think about it in those terms or can you match that or can you not match it's not about competing it's about learning the skill. He doesn't have really forces you to follow in his footsteps it kind of lets you be your own person. It's allowed us to spend more time together on jobs, like waking up at like seven and then getting home at like 11 or something, like a really long day. So just all that time is spent together. While we work, we often sort of just talk things through. I definitely feel like it, I've gotten to know him even better, sort of strengthen our relationship. I, I guess it's just nice to sort of uh, inherit like the, the skill and it's kind of like a connection to my dad. And I'm very, very proud of my dad. I guess you don't really tell your parents that often. I don't really know why, but yeah. <laughs> I, I always think there's like this sort of strange relationship between a parent and child where the child always thinks that they haven't lived up to their parents' expectations and the parent thinks that they haven't done the best job of raising their child. In reality, both of them really appreciate each other. Alice has uh, written a poem recently, and he's uh, come up with ways of illustrating his thoughts. And when I first heard that, I realized that some of it had something to do with conversations that we had had. It's great to think that, you know, as a parent, that you you uh, you may not come out with anything very soon anymore, but things do go on. You know, you pass things down, which is what we're doing when we're working on a piano together as well. You know, you pass things down. They live on.
This episode of Fathers and Sons was brought to you by Mr. Porter and Radio Wolfgang. The episode was produced by Ivan Manley and Natalia Rodriguez. The executive producers were Harry Watson and Ellie DiMartino. The record assistant was Jessica Dickens, and the research was done by Joe Simpson. The team would like to thank Rolf Dragstra and Ellis Lewis Dragstra for sharing their story with us. <laughs>